is risen. Today we want to uh, we want to consider Jesus this morning. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. Now we try to consider him every single day of our lives. I, I would think most of us, anyhow. And if we don't know him quite that well yet, my prayer is that you would. Obviously, as a as a pastor, my prayer for you would be that you would consider Jesus every single day of your life. But Easter Sunday seems like a really good Sunday to consider Jesus. And uh, one of the reasons we do that, and I'm going to get to those reasons in a minute, but one of the reasons we do that is because we believe that he hears us when we pray. And so as, um, as you look around the room, some of you that have been around for a while, you'll see some familiar faces, but you'll also see some familiar faces we haven't seen in a while. And so if you look to my left, right across the room over here, uh, it's so good to have Brenda with us, not only on Good Friday, but also Easter Sunday morning, sitting right over here. And uh, the long-awaited return of our prodigal daughter, I mean, our wonderful sister, Glory Miller, is with us this morning in the flesh herself. Go ahead and lift them up. <clears throat> Praise to God that they're here. Now, I don't, uh, I don't point them out and celebrate them more than anybody else um, just because I like them better. Uh, no, we just want to highlight God's faithfulness in their lives right now in this moment. And uh, God has certainly been faithful, even though uh, if you talk with Glory, she'll tell you that the doctors have let her down, the world has let her down, and her physical body has let her down. And she will continue to tell you that God is good and he's faithful. Amen. And so the fact that she's able to be here today is an answer to prayer. And uh, Brenda, who also is an answer to prayer to be able to be here. And these are some tough, tough people. And uh, we just honor your commitment to God. And uh, one thing that I always remind them, and it's one thing I try with the online so hard to make sure it works, is because these two, I know, for without a shadow of a doubt, are here Every Sunday online, uh, praying for us, worshiping with us, and cheering this on. And so we just honor your faithfulness today, Brenda and Glory. We love you guys so much, and it's such an honor to be able to worship in person with you both. Uh, if you are sitting uh, around some of them, we're going to pray for both of them right here, right now. If you would just put your arm on their shoulder. Uh, if you also have a prayer request this morning, would you just raise your hand if you would be so bold? Uh, if you would like prayer at all today, uh, we want to make sure that someone prays for you. Well, we're going to pray for glory right there. Anybody else like someone to pray for you this morning? All right, if you, uh, Corey's got his hand up there. We'll pray for you too, Corey. Someone put your hand on Corey's shoulder there. We'll make sure you pray. Why don't we uh, just pause here for this moment and let's, uh, let's pray together. And would you just repeat after me if, you're, if you would be so bold today. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your life, death, and resurrection. We thank you today for your Holy Spirit, for healing power, for strength and renewal. Give us new life inside and out. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We continue to lift up those who have a need today. And if you have a prayer request that you just you just need a little bit more uh, confidentiality or privacy. We respect that. The Lord knows what's going on inside your heart, inside your mind, inside your body. And so we know that at any point in time, 24-7 days, 365 days a year, 
wherever you find yourself, you can reach up to heaven and you can worship and you can talk to our Savior anytime. But we also know that we're not meant to live this journey of faith alone. And so if you need someone to pray with you, I would say you can look around at just about anybody in this room and they will pray for you. And as well, you can always get a hold of us at the office and we will pray for you. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but on this day, on this Easter Sunday, there are literally millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, someone say millions, of people following Jesus or Jesus followers in churches all over the globe. Some are ready to get, are getting ready for bed as we speak, and they've already had their celebration moment. But they're here to celebrate the greatest moment in history the world has ever seen. The fact that the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, Christ is not there, he is risen. Nice. Because of that, we can gather and celebrate the goodness of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior today. Now, I want to ask you this question. What does it mean to be made right with God? Well, the answer to the other side of the question is, well, what have I done wrong? What if he looks at me and says, well, what's wrong in his eyes? Uh, we could probably look inside of ourselves. We can think of the actions maybe in our past. We could look at a number of things that we wish we could go back and do again. And so the question I want to ask is, what does it take to be made right with God? And if you're asking that question today in Canadian society in particular, or even south of the border, or if you go to Europe and ask this question, you will get a varying degree of answers based on who you ask this question to. And so you could probably walk around our own community and say, what does it mean to be made right with God? And someone might say, God, who's that? He doesn't exist. It's a myth. It's something that people hold on to to make themselves feel better. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right in God's eyes because God doesn't exist. Some people would give you that answer. And um, you might ask uh, someone else another question. You'll get a different answer, so on and so forth. And my, my, my challenge to us this morning is this. Whether you've done it your whole life, whether you've done it for some of your life, or maybe you're on a faith journey right now, or maybe you don't know where to start, would you, would you do me a favor? If, uh, if you know me well enough, I will do anything for you, most things anyway, to help you out. And so if you could do me a favor this morning, and would you consider Jesus? All right, would you do me a favor? Would you consider Jesus. I don't know if you, if you know this, but if you walk around our nation today, there are thousands of thousands of people who believe in many different religions and many different ways to get to God or many different things about God. Some people will say things now, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Some people will say all religions are the same anyway. All you have to do is be a good Person. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you this question. And you can be honest. How many think you're a good person? Oh, okay. Awesome. The rest of you, there's hope. All right. There's hope for the rest of you. Now, I, um, I think I'm a pretty good person. And then there's moments if I look in my life and I look into the things that I think about and I go, hmm. Maybe not. There's room for improvement. It's like every time that I work on some sort of building project and I go cut the piece of wood and I don't measure it properly, it's okay if I cut it and it's too long, I can make it just right. But if I cut the board and it's too short, well, 
tough luck. I can't measure. There's nothing I can do to make that board any longer. Um, I remember I was uh, 13 years old. I was working on a construction site with some guys from our church who had hired me for the summer. And I was, uh, you know, I was the gopher. Go for this, Gary. Go for that, Gary. And I did what they told me to do. Well, one day, site supervisor says, Gary, go get me a board stretcher. I'm like 13, first construction job of my life. Gary, go look for this board stretcher. It's in the back of the trailer. Okay. Now, I'm, I have an idea in my head of what this thing is supposed to look like. I'm picturing literally like a hospital stretcher type of thing, but for a piece of wood. And uh, I couldn't find it, so I go back and I can't find it. What does it look like? What is it used for? Well, Gary, it's used to stretch wood. And the moment he said it's used to stretch the wood, I knew that... Uh, it was the end of the day, and they were pulling my leg, and it was a way to get me out of the way for a little while, that they could have a good little laugh. Just some fun fact there. But no matter what you do, you cut the wood too short, there's no way you're going to be able to make up the difference without cutting a new piece of wood. Without, Anyways, there's, there's lots of options. But none of them bring it back to its full, whole self. Um, lots of people believe in lots of different things. For example, some people believe uh, in reincarnation. And I heard it said that uh, you, you love what you were. Now, I should have asked this question before. Think about something that you love. Think about something that I love cake, okay? I love cake, I love Reese's Pieces. So people that believe in reincarnation would say, I used to be a Reese's Pieces in my former life. That's a very extreme, it's a little bit poking fun, I know. But that is a, a genuine belief that people hold. Um, there's all kinds of different beliefs about God, and yet no one really likes to talk about God. They'll talk about different kinds of gods, or talk about a being or something like that. But the most times people talk about God is one, when you tell them you're a pastor, and they go, instantly, some people become instantly uncomfortable when they're like, hey, so what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I'm an engineer, or I'm a millwright. What do you do? I'm the pastor. Oh. <laughs> There's also the shock factor. They don't really expect that to come out of your mouth, right? And, and so, you know, you're instantly I, people start talking about church and, and their experience. But for the most part, talking about God becomes a little bit uncomfortable for, for people. And so it's not usually until someone dies that people start talking about God. And then I'm always fascinated at the stuff that comes out of people's mouths in their interpretation of who God is. And, and having done a number of funerals in the church, outside of the church, I'm always fascinated at what people say about their loved ones. Like, things like, oh, you know, grandma or grandpa are, you know, up in the clouds looking down at us all the time. You know, there are some things in my life that I don't want my grandmother seeing me do from the clouds in the afterlife right now. Like, there's, there's moments where I value my privacy. I don't need grandma looking down at me in these moments. But it's how we talk about God. The question is, how is it that we are made right with God? Now, if you know, if you're here today, you're watching online, you know that we're in a church, obviously we're going to talk about God. We're not going to talk about God. We're going to sing about God. We're not just going to sing about God. We're going to dance about God. And we're going to celebrate and, and celebrate and celebrate again and again and again God. Now, those of us who follow Jesus, we're called Christians. 
We have no problem talking about spiritual things, higher powers. And I, I, always, I always sit down with, with couples that want to get married and I ask them about their beliefs. What do you believe and what do you believe? And I have them in front of each other and in front of me share what they believe about God because I don't know if you know this. If you have a different interpretation or a different belief in God and the person you're marrying has a different belief than you, that's going to create a point of tension in the relationship. It's just a fact. There's already enough things that cause tension. So before you get married, why don't we get on the same page? And every single time, I, I, I have a lot of weddings that I do for people outside of the church. And I always tell them, you don't have to believe what I believe, but here's what I believe. And God always opens this nice little door. And I get to share about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I get to share about faith in Jesus and how he makes us whole again and makes us new again. And gives us second chances. What I've learned, though, is that people don't mind talking about God, but when does he get controversial? The moment you say the name Jesus. Something, something just stirs inside of people, and it gets them really squeamish and uncomfortable. It's kind of like when it's just hot enough, and there's no air conditioning, and you're sweating, and you get, start to get that itchy feeling in your back, and you just kind of squirm a little bit, and it's really, ooh, Jesus, ugh. Really, did he just go there? Did he really just say that? It's true, people get uncomfortable. In fact, it's why we work so hard as a church to like, when you come into church, into the building, we try to make it nicer than uh, make it feel a bit more modern and inviting. Like we used to have orange carpet, for example, and, and chandeliers. I don't know anyone in their house that has orange carpet and chandeliers. Anymore, that is. There was a time that that was the style, right? And it was, it was normal, it was comfortable, and so... We already know how awkward it can be to talk about Jesus. Why don't we take a step forward? That's just kind of off the side there. But you know what's interesting about talking about Jesus is that people, it's not that people dislike his teaching. It's not that people don't like even what he had to say. Um, now, it's hard if any of our moral people to dislike Jesus because he taught us to help the poor, love others that are overlooked, and he taught us to forgive people. They don't debate or they don't, they don't get controversial over the teachings of Jesus. They don't even debate the existence of Jesus. Why is it that everybody gets so squeamish and uncomfortable then when we talk about Jesus? And I believe it has to, be, it has to do with the exclusive claim of Jesus. Because there's some important words that Jesus says in John 14, 6. And one of his disciples, Thomas, says to him, Where are you going? I don't know where you are going. And Jesus answered him and he says, You know the way to the Father. And he replies to him and he says, and these are the words of Jesus, and this is the part that gets controversial. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In a very inclusive world, in a very inclusive nation, uh, and, and when we talk about religious pluralism, this exclusive claim that Jesus makes makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And really the uncomfortable side of it, all of a sudden it challenges their belief and their faith. Now, I don't know about you, I don't mind being challenged in my faith and in my belief, because what I believe to be truth, I believe it actually is truth. 
I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he was going to do, and he's going to continue to do what he said he was going to do. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin, and he was. It said that he would be pierced and without breaking a bone, and he was. It said that he would be put to death, and after three days he would raise from the dead, and he did. And so my faith is good to be challenged because it forces me to go back and to study. It forces me to pray. It forces me to think about why I believe in Jesus as much as I do. I don't mind my faith being challenged, but what happens when our faith is challenged and all of a sudden our world starts to crumble because what we put our faith in turns out not to be true? That's what makes us uncomfortable. If you were told your whole life, all you have to do is have the nice clean cut lawn, make sure your house looks nice, make sure the inside of your house looks nice, and you'll be considered a good person. And at the end of the day, when your life ends, you will be good with God. And if someone comes along or you walk into someone else's house and their grass is three feet tall, they got weeds growing everywhere, you walk inside, it looks like... uh, um, a hurricane has gone through and someone walks in, you walk into that house and, and, and then someone says, actually, if you just know Jesus uh, and put your faith in him, you will be saved and you will find yourself right with God. And you would say, my whole life I've worked towards this clean house, this perfect house, this perfect yard. And at the end of the day, you're telling me that I was wrong. It makes people uncomfortable, the exclusive claim of Jesus. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning and ask you to consider Jesus, but let me, let's, let's look at a couple other religions this morning. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's recognize today that not all religions are the same. And I respect people who have strong religious convictions, whatever they believe in. I put my faith in Jesus Christ because I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you, I believe that you'll have the similar experience to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But let's look at some other religions. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. This isn't a world religions class this morning. But uh, let's start with, with Buddhism. Buddhists believe, and if you know more, you can talk about it later, But very basics, just kind of scratch the surface this morning. Buddhists believe that there is no God. There's no final type of existence. A Buddhist is going to believe in countless rebirths, and eventually you hope to end the cycle. You contrast that even with Hinduism. Uh, Hindus believe in a God, an impersonal God, that is approached through deities, statues, or idols. And in fact, if you are if you are talking with a Hindu and you are sharing the gospel of Jesus with a Hindu, oftentimes they will add Jesus as another form of idol or God in their life as a way to get to God himself. Um, I found it fascinating, of course, that both, there's also this large belief um, in karma, there's no, there's no supernatural help, there's no forgiveness of sins in either of these religions. Uh, there's only karma, and so if you don't know what karma is, it's, it's what goes around, comes around. You get what you deserve. You, get what you, what you, you reap what you sow, so to speak. And in fact, this was a fascinating, unscientific poll uh, done by CFNO Radio on March 29th, I think it was. Uh, and Al Creswell, our radio host, put on an opinion poll, which he does every morning of the week. And he said, how many of you, or just a simple question is, do you believe in karma? 
And so I saw that in the morning on the Facebook feed, and I just wrote big, bold letters, no. I thought for sure someone was going to message me. I thought for sure someone was going to say, what are you talking about, Pastor Gary? Because looking at all the people that had responded, I thought for sure I was going to get something. Not a single person challenged me or asked me my belief or opinion. I thought that was fascinating. But do you want to know how many people on the North Shore and the CFNL listening area on Facebook believe in karma? Anyone want to take a guess? 96%. 96% of people believe in karma. So it's not just Buddhists that believe in this. Now, there are moments in my life where I wish karma was real. That guy cut me off. I hope he gets cut off. That guy was speeding. I got pulled over for speeding. I hope he gets pulled over for speeding. He was going faster than me. I hope he gets what he deserves. How many have ever felt that way? My hand is up. If you only know what that person did to me, I hope they know what they got coming to them. Right? That's how we feel, right? In our flesh, we have these feelings of anger that we, and bitterness that, that creep into our heart, into our life. And we desperately wish in these moments that karma is real because if you only knew how bad they were, then you know what they deserve. Let me tell you this morning, the reason that I'm a Christian, the reason that I celebrate Jesus, I am so glad that I do not get what I deserve. I am so glad that I don't get what I deserve. Because when I read in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. And if you continue to read, it also says that every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. I talked about measuring. There's no such thing as a board stretcher. There's nothing you can do in your life to make it better or make it measure up to God's standard. There's nothing that you can do. So we have, at our house, we have this height chart. It's got this nice little giraffe. And as the kids get older, we mark it on there how tall they are. Now, in hindsight, being the big Disney family that we are, I would totally redo the whole thing. And I would put all the Disney World ride heights on the measuring chart. And then I would say to the kids as they get older, hey, when you are this old and this tall, you can ride on Expedition Everest. You can ride on Space Mountain. You can do this. You can, you're finally tall enough to get there. But no matter how hard we try, I can't make them grow any faster. They have to wait. They have to wait until they continue to eat, continue to grow, and, and do the healthy things to get there. But the word tells me, he says that none of us measure up and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Now I'm thankful that the verse doesn't end there. But I'm thankful this morning that I don't believe in karma because I am thankful that I am not going to get what I deserve because I am a sinful person. I stand before you not as a perfect pastor, not as someone that's holier than you. I stand before you because I do not get what I deserve. For the wages of sin is death, and the finishing part of the verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life. And here we have before us today this dilemma of karma. You should get what you deserve. I am thankful today that I don't get what I deserve. Let's, uh, let's contrast this with, with uh, those who are Muslim. They believe in a personal God. His name is Allah. A Muslim has no secondary gods, and they have a total ban on idols, and your standing with God, your measuring stick with God, is based on your good works and effort. 
And some of you would go, that sounds very similar because there are some Christians that believe you have to do this, you have to do that, and you have to be just right before you can ever come to church. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus never went to the people that were saved before they came to church to offer them salvation. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. So if we could acknowledge for a moment here this morning, although we may be good and positive things in many different religions, they're absolutely not completely the same. And I want to ask you this morning, would you consider Jesus? Would you consider what he claims? Would you consider what others have said about him? Would you consider what he actually did? Would you look and consider him, put your trust in him and see what happens? We're going to look at three areas of his life. And the first one is this. We're going to consider the ministry of Jesus Christ. Someone say ministry. We look at Mark's gospel. This is awesome. It essentially tells us, when you read the book of Mark in the New Testament, it tells us why Jesus came and talks about the teachers of the law. And in this verse here, it's incredibly important for us to understand who Jesus came to save. And so you go to Mark chapter 2, verse 16 says this. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples... Why does he eat with the sinners and tax collectors? And this is, I just want to set the scene for a minute here. So kind of just imagine Jesus is kind of just hanging out over here. He's probably talking with somebody. He's sitting, probably sitting at the bar with a tax collector, sitting at a bar with a sinner over here. And over on this side, his disciples are kind of hanging out, kind of just watching, waiting, figuring out what their next step is. You know, he's, he's the leader. They're just kind of following. They're lingering. And the Pharisees walk in and they start talking to the disciples over here says, why is he over there eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And all of a sudden, you know, Jesus hears his ears, his ears perk up, right? And he hears the, he hears the Pharisees ask the disciples this question. And before his disciples can answer, he comes and he says, gentlemen, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. So they're expecting, of course, the disciples to answer. Jesus overhears, and he kind of turns around on his stool. Of course, I'm making a little bit of this up. Turns around on his stool, looks at the, the Pharisees, and goes, Gentlemen, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Now, if I were to ask you who the sinners are in the room, we should all probably put up our hands. I did not call the righteous, but I come to call the sinners. In other words, someone who is religious, 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 what the, what the Pharisees think is they shouldn't eat with this type of person because of their religious stature. Now, let me just be clear here for a minute. It's good for us to have boundaries. Right? We, we believe in this word change. Okay, God, you've made something new in my life. Lord, the things that I desire, I desire no more because you've changed my life. So why would I go back to the life that I lived if I'm somebody new? If I'm an alcoholic, I should probably stop going to the bar. If I'm a drug addict, I should probably stop having lunch at my drug dealer's house. Right? These, these are boundaries that we put in place, but they're not exclusive boundaries. It doesn't mean that they are lost and forgotten. Right, and so, and so this is what the Pharisees would do. With good intentions, many times, they would put up rules and they'd put up laws so that they are obedient to the law. But they would put up the wall so high that they forgot the, minish, the mission of reconciliation. We're going to just pause there and, and move on this morning. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but call the sinners. I love this with all my heart. He didn't come for the people that have it all together. 
When my wife's not around, like for a couple days or something, or a couple hours, there are moments I feel like I don't got any of this together. It's, it's wild. She's just that good. She's like Jesus. There's moments when we're together, and I go, I don't think we got this all together sometimes. Jesus didn't come for the people that have it all together. As you heard in Pastor Katie's illustration this morning, Twister isn't just for one person. It's for the whole family. So after church today, I want all of us, no, as the altar call today, all of us are going to respond by playing Twister this morning. I always, I, I think I said this last week or a few weeks ago, I said it's kind of like cleaning your house before the cleaning lady comes. Why? Why would you clean your house before? Because they don't want to see how dirty it is? Trust me, if it's that bad, you ain't hiding it anyway. Um, I could say this for our, our, our medical professionals because I hear it from all the time from them. No one likes when a healthy person comes into a merge. Right? No one likes to deal with people that don't actually need to see the doctor or the nurse. Right? My wife tells me stories and she just rolls her eyes and laughs. It's, it's funny. If you're not sick, don't go to the doctor. Now, not only did Jesus come for sinners, but when you look at his ministry, you'll be blown away by the simple miracles that he did. Why did this guy do that? By the power of God, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He called the mute to speak. He multiplied loaves and he multiplied fish to feed thousands and thousands of people. He would cast out demons. Jesus even rose from the dead. His first miracle was turning water into wine. What's Fascinating and funny about the miracles of Jesus is that his detractors did not debate the validity of his miracles. No one ever challenged him on the quality or whether or not he performed the miracle at all. They just wanted him to stop. No one was upset when Jesus raised the dead or healed the blind or caused the mute to speak. They just wanted him to stop. Fascinating. They would ask the questions, by what power is he doing this? No one said, did he really raise the dead? No, they saw it with their own eyes. They saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. They saw with their own eyes. Consider the ministry of Jesus. I think many of us in the room are a direct result of his ministry. We are a miracle this, today, this moment, because of the ministry of Jesus. If you walked around the room, we'd probably be able to look at somebody in the eyes, and they would tell you, this is who I was, I found Jesus, now this is who I am. This is who I was, this is who I am. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was full of hate, now I'm full of peace. I was full of pride and jealousy and arrogance, now I am filled with humility. I was a mess, now I am transformed. You are different because of the perfect work of God's Son. Would you consider the ministry of Jesus. Number two this morning is consider the resurrection of Jesus. Now this is why we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Why does it matter? You see, Jesus was miraculously conceived. He was born of a virgin. He did not inherit the sinful nature of, his, of an earthly father, like every one of us have. He was completely without sin. He lived the perfect life for us. On the cross, he became sin for us, even though he knew no sin. 
He suffered horribly with creation was mocking the creator as they spit on him, as they hurled insults at him, as they beat him beyond recognition on the cross. Jesus looks up to his father as he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, carrying the punishment for everybody standing in front of him, mocking him. He looks up at his father, and you know what the words of Jesus were in that moment? He says, Father, please forgive them. I mean, you talk about karma and people getting what they deserve. I can imagine in the earthly feelings that he would have gone had he been a sinful man. If you look at the other two people on the cross next to him. This is such a beautiful story. Two men hanging beside Jesus. One of them is completely bitter. He hates the fact that he's been caught and he's being punished for his sin. And he's looking at the crowd, and you can, just, you can just imagine the insults and the profanity coming out of his mouth. Just saying, I hope you die. I hope you go to. And you can just picture for a minute all of the things this guy's saying. The other thief on the cross looks up at Jesus, looks at the other guy and says, would you be quiet already? Can you not see that this man is the son of God? Can you not see that we deserve what we're getting, but he doesn't deserve what he's getting? In this moment, as he could have been bitter, he could have wished karma upon the world in front of him. He looks up at his father and he says, forgive them for they do not even know what they're doing. What kind of grace is that? It's grace and love from the cross. Jesus cries out a victorious cry. It is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last and he gave his life. In that moment, we know the earth literally went dark. The ground trembled. The Roman soldiers and centurion, who was not a follower of Jesus, saw the love that he had, saw his heart, saw his mercy, looked up at Jesus and said, I didn't believe before, but I believe now. He looks at this last moments of Jesus' life and he says, I didn't believe this before, but I believe now. Just as he predicted, he said, I will give my life. Three days later, I will rise from the dead. Three days, three days later, here's a, here's a trivia question for all of our churchgoers in the room. Who are the first two people at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning? Not their names, but who were they? Anybody know? There were two women at the tomb. They were the first ones to witness the resurrection of Jesus. Now, don't think that that's not important. Why would the Bible scholars report that it wasn't? They could have just said the disciples eventually found their way to the tomb and discovered that it was empty and that he had risen. There's a reason why they write down the details the way they have. Two women come to the tomb. They walk inside and they see the grave clothes are, are on the, inside, the, inside the grave. And an angel appears before them and says, he is not here, he is risen. And so they run back and they tell the disciples and, and they said, you're not going to believe this. And they're right, you don't. And so then two of them take off running. They get to where the tomb is, one stops. And of course, it's James, I think it was it uh, Peter and John, right? The two, they're kind of like fighting. Who's the better one? Who's the better disciple? They're running, they're running, they're running, they're running, they're running, they're running. And finally, it, says, it even says in the record, one ran faster than the other. But when he got there, he saw the tomb and he stopped. And the other one ran in the tomb first. It's kind of like the tortoise and the hare story a little bit. This was not an ordinary man. 
Peter, of course, he had just denied Jesus three times. Do you know him? No. Weren't you one of his disciples? No. Weren't you just hanging out with him? No, it wasn't me. This was Peter. He's completely transformed because the tomb was empty. In this moment, he's completely transformed. He's completely forgiven, completely healed. And then, not long after, he goes and he preaches pastorally on the resurrection of Jesus. And he can't stop telling people about what has taken place. That Jesus was dead. He suffered for our sins and our transgressions. And he rose from the dead. He defeated death. And he saved my life. And he preached this until he died. Acts 3.15 said this to the religious leaders. It says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You killed the author of life, but he's not dead anymore. He has risen from the dead. In Acts 3.15 it says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Now, I don't know if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus this morning, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I am not the same person that I once was because Jesus was resurrected. One of my favorite verses is found in the book of Galatians chapter 2, and I don't know if I need to read it, but I'll say it wrong if I don't read it this morning. Um, Galatians chapter 2 here, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe this morning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even though I was not there 2,000 years ago, I'm not that old. I am a witness to his resurrection because of the life-saving, life-giving work he has done in me. Now, some of you in this room, you have had a moment in the hospital, in an ambulance, where you should have died. You can tell those stories later. There's miracles that are before us in this room, and you go, somebody brought me back, gave me a second chance. Spiritually, if we're honest, all of us are dead. Whether we realize it or not, we're all dead unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Unless we crucify our death on the cross with him, then we continue to walk in death. But he has raised us from the dead. We are witnesses of this. There's all kinds of debates, right, that people would have. Well, maybe it was the Roman soldiers who stole the body. You want to believe Roman soldiers, if they stole the body, they would have paraded the streets saying, look what we have, look what we stole. Not one of them did. If you think it was the disciples making this up, you're wrong. How could the disciples overcome the mighty Roman soldier to begin with? Not to mention, let's look at the way some of them lived their lives. Ten of the eleven remaining disciples, Judas took his own life. They were left with eleven. Ten of them died a martyr's death. Why were they willing to die? Why were they willing to die for a lie? They weren't. They died for the truth. Thomas, many of you may find yourself like Thomas. He was a doubter. What did Thomas end up doing? The doubting disciple, he took the gospel to India. He became the first evangelist to India. That's how much of a doubter Thomas was. When they said, Thomas, deny your faith and we'll let you live, but if you stand by Jesus, we're going to kill you. Do you know what Doubting Thomas said? 
He said, I will never deny the faith of those who died and rose again for me. I will stand by him for the rest of my life. And you know what they did to Thomas's body? And they know what they did to Thomas in that moment? They drove a stake through his body. They impaled him because he was a witness to the empty tomb. He was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you consider Jesus today? The early church was born. 3,000 people in one moment put their faith in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, millions of people gathered on this day as witnesses to the new life that God has given them, the second chance that God has given them. Number three, and we close with this this morning, we consider the ministry of Jesus, we consider the resurrection of Jesus. Let's consider the eternal message for Jesus. Some people believe that when you die, the life is simply over. Darkness, nothing, nothing happens. Complete annihilation, you cease to exist. Let's consider the eternal message of Jesus. Romans 3.22 says this. If we're asking the question, are we made right with God? This is what Romans says. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. As this is true for everyone who believes And here's a key line for us today. No matter who we are. That is an incredible, inclusive message. Anybody. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Whether you're a man, a woman, old, young, Greek, Jew, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Catholic, Presbyterian, whatever label you want to put yourself on. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So I ask you the question today. How are we made right with God? By placing our faith in Jesus. It's the difference, I think, between rules that we have and the relationship that we have. Because Jesus is alive, now, so this is, I always, I should, I should be more respectful of the dead, but I always laugh at the fact that every municipality in Ontario is legislated by the Ontario government that they have to have a cemetery committee. And every time someone proposes something towards the cemetery, we got to make it beautiful. I always ask the question, why? They're not there. They have a beautiful tombstone. Like when I die, we are not having a big, beautiful tombstone. I'm not getting a massive crypt to put my body in and say, Gary rests here because I'm not going to be there. I don't really care what happens to my body after I die. We're going to be romantic. We're going to get cremated. We're going to put our ashes in the same jar and let the kids shake it up. Maybe the grandkids shake it up and they'll be together forever. Ashes. I don't care. I'm not going to be here. Now, with all due respect to those who we have lost, we want to honor their legacy, but not their human body. We're going to honor the legacy, but not the flesh. For those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about where we stand with God because we're given assurance. We know without a shadow of a doubt that I belong to Jesus, that I am his. He created me for his glory. He created me to be with him. He saved me so that I could be with him. 
Every single one of us are guilty of sin. Every single one of us are, fall, are guilty of falling short, of not being good enough. And yet Jesus comes through his resurrection, through his promise of eternity, and he makes us good enough. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when God looks down from his mighty throne of heaven and he looks at our heart, he doesn't see our sin anymore when we put our faith in Jesus. What does he see? He sees his son. He sees that you are covered by the blood of Jesus, that you have had a substitute for your punishment of your sin. You're not who you once were. You are somebody new. Now today I would ask that you would consider Jesus. If there's a God who claims to be the son of God and he says he's the only way to the father and he predicted his death and he predicts his resurrection, he dies and he rises again, I really want to be with that God. I'm going to go with the God who chose someone like me, who didn't tell me that I'm going to get what I deserve, who doesn't tell me that I have to pray a certain prayer or do a certain thing or go to a certain place to be saved. I'm going to go with the guy who gave his life for me. No other God has ever reached down and taken on the persona of a human before. No other God has ever stepped down from their holy place and become a sinner to save that what was lost. No other God has ever done that except for the God that we're talking about today. Jesus, my prayer is this. Take my whole life. I put my faith in you. It's that simple. That's my prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let me pray for you this morning. Would you do that this morning? Would you pray with us today? Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for the coming of Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was shed for our sins as a substitute of God. Thank you for making us whole again. God, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, we don't get what we deserve. Lord, thank you for the mercy that you show us, not getting what we deserve, for the grace that you give us, getting something we don't deserve. God, I thank you that you want to know us. And Lord, you've made a way for us to know you. God, today in this moment, in front of our friends and family, in front of our church here, Lord, I... Just say this prayer. God, I need you. And God, I want you. I put my faith in you, Jesus, because there's none like you. I just wonder as we pray this morning, church, if you, if you would do me a favor and just keep your eyes closed for a minute. And if you would just like to take a minute today and consider Jesus, would you say, Gary, I want to be made right in God's eyes. Gary, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Just between you and God, would you just raise your hand as a symbol, as a sign, just towards heaven today? I'm not even, I'm not even looking today, but would you, as, as all of us in this room, just have our eyes closed, would you raise your hand and say, God, I want to know you. I want to be known by you, God. I want to place my faith in Jesus. 
If you need some time, you can put your hands down. If you need some time to ponder it I, and you want to make the decision and you, and you leave from this place and you go, oh, I, I missed my opportunity. Let me tell you this. It's never too late. You've never missed your opportunity. And, and if you want to communicate, this is the greatest decision of your life that you will ever make to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you are worried that you missed the opportunity, maybe you're online and you say, Gary, how do I raise my hand online? Well, we actually make it easy for you. If you go to our website, thenorthshore.church slash follow. The same thing that pops up that says introduce yourself, you'll see a link that says I want to follow Jesus. You can make that decision at any time, 24-7, and you will let us know that you've made a decision to follow Jesus and put your faith in him. It's the greatest decision of your life that you will ever make. So God, as we go from this place today, would you give us enough faith and enough courage to be bold enough to make that decision? Jesus, I'm not only going to consider you, but I'm going to make a decision to follow you. Lord, I believe in your miracles. I believe in the things that you taught. Lord, I want to follow you. And then I'm going to do the things that you did, Jesus. I'm going to care about those that nobody cares about. I'm going to reach those who are lost. I'm going to reach out to the sick, the brokenhearted, the widow, the orphan. Lord, and I'm going to make their world a better place. And I'm not going to do it alone, God. I'm going to do it with your Holy Spirit. Lord, for the people that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest seasons of their life, God, I'm going to come with your Holy Spirit because I placed my trust in you and I'm going to make their world better. I'm going to raise them out of the pit the way that you saved me. God, I'm going to work to save them. God, I want to be totally yours. God, I pray a blessing over each one that is here today, each one that's online. God, we pray that everyone would come to faith in you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. He has risen. Amen. He has risen me from the dead, and if you choose, he will raise you to new life as well. Be blessed this Easter Sunday.